Hi, this is Chris again with Nightfall Audiobooks. Welcome to The Fear Street Sagas, Book 2, The Secret, by R.L. Stein. This is part of the Sagas trilogy, which is not the same as the Fear Street Sagas series. That's a separate series of books that takes the characters that were created in the Sagas trilogy, which is what I am reading now, and it expands on them. I don't remember too much about The Secret, I know it's more interlude stuff between the first book and the third book, and the third book does get into Simon and Angelica Fear, and it does explain how the Fear Mansion burned down, and why Fear Street is cursed, and why Shadyside is doomed. This book is broken up into several timelines. There's one timeline in 1900, there's one in 1737, and then there's probably a few more that are going to be going on as the book progresses. The book has to take breaks and jump around and skip all over the place because that's how the story is told. So just to give you a heads up, before that happens, I will be calling out where we are and when we are. All right, that's enough. If you want to get in touch with me, write me an email, nightfallaudiobooks at gmail.com. It is the only way to get in touch with me and get an insight onto what's going on with Nightfall Audiobooks. If you have any questions or comments, send them there. I'm also on YouTube, Nightfall Audiobooks. Feel free to like, comment, and subscribe. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your mom, tell whoever you think would like to listen to me, tell them tales from Fear Street. So thank you very much for listening, and let's get started. Welcome to a Nightfall Audiobooks production of The Fear Street Saga, Book 2, The Secret, by R.L. Stein. Prologue Village of Shadyside, 1900 Nora's pen scratched against the paper, dry again. Wearily, she thought of dipping the point into the inkwell, changed her mind, and, yawning, set the pen down on the small writing table. Just for a minute, just for one minute's rest. Her back ached and her fingers were cramped. She had been scribbling furiously all night by the light of a single candle. Nora knew she had to tell her story, and she had to tell it tonight. She touched the silver pendant that hung from a chain around her neck. Her fingers picked out the silver claws, the blue stones. Then fire appeared before her closed eyes, burning in her memory. Fire that burned the innocent Susanna Good in 1692. Two hundred years of hatred and revenge followed Susanna's death. And then, at last, the terrible fire that consumed the Fear Mansion. Nora's eyes filled with tears. Daniel. My Daniel. After so many fires, all was in ashes now. Sighing sadly, Nora dipped her pen into the inkwell. No time to rest. The story must be told. She heard a noise and stopped writing. She listened. Footsteps. Someone was coming. Her hands trembling. Nora frantically shoved the paper and ink into the desk drawer. No one must see this, she thought. No one can see it until it is finished. And it is far from finished. There are so many horrors left untold. So many horrors. She held her breath, listening. The footsteps moved closer. Closer. Part 1. Wickham Village, Massachusetts Colony, 1737. Chapter 1. Village of Wickham. Jonathan Fear sighed with relief as the wagon rolled past the wooden sign. Their long journey was over at last. He glanced at his father sitting beside him on the box of the wagon. Ezra Fear's face was haggard and drawn, but his black eyes sparked with excitement. He snatched the reins with renewed energy, 
and the chestnut horse trotted faster down the rutted tree-lined road. We are here, Jonathan, Ezra said to his son, after all those weeks in this wagon. We are finally in Wickham. George Good is going to wish he had never been born. Ezra's voice dipped lower, almost to a whisper. Revenge at last. It will be so sweet. Jonathan felt a cold chill. Revenge? Revenge for what? I still do not understand, Jonathan thought. Who is George Good? I have never even met anyone named Good. Goods had never done me any harm. So why did we have to leave the farm in Pennsylvania? Why have we spent the last six months driving east in this cramped and dirty old wagon? Jonathan stole a glance at his father's gaunt face. We've come here to seek revenge against the goods, Papa says. Everything he does is for revenge. Sometimes I think Papa is crazy. Jonathan immediately wished he could take back that thought. How could I think such a thing, he scolded himself. He is my father. He cannot be crazy. There must be a reason for all the misery we have suffered. There must be. I have searched for the goods through five colonies, Ezra muttered, and found no one. But now... He raised to lift his hat and run a bony hand through his straight-back hair. Now I feel sure. I know they are here. I know I have found them at last. Ezra! Jonathan's mother called from the back of the wagon. Please slow down. The girls are being tossed all around. Ezra scowled and pulled on the reins. Jonathan turned on the box and looked back into the covered wagon. His mother, Jane, and his two sisters, Abigail and Rachel, were huddled back there, along with all the family's possessions. Pots and pans, dishes, utensils, clothes, blankets, the Fear Family Bible, and the little food they had left. We have arrived, Mama, Jonathan said quietly. He wondered whether she would be glad or sorry. Hooray, cried three-year-old Rachel, clapping her hands. She was a chubby angel in a homespun muslin shift with a mop of blonde curls peeking out from under her cap. Jane Fear only nodded. She was fair, with worry lines beside her clear blue eyes. She wore a printed linen dress and a loose white cap. I will be so happy to leave this wagon, said Abigail, a red-haired eight-year-old with mischievous blue eyes. She wore a blue and white striped linen dress and a white cap with blue ribbons. She looked up to her brother Jonathan, who at almost twelve was nearly grown up. Mama, will we be able to stop for good this time? Will we be able to sleep in a bed tonight? I hope so, Abigail, Jane said. I will ask Papa, Abigail said. She started for the front of the wagon, but her mother pulled her back. Do not bother Papa about that now, Jane whispered. He has other matters on his mind. He always has other matters on his mind, Jonathan thought with some bitterness, or rather, one other matter. Jonathan faced front again and lowered his black hat over his eyes. He wore his long brown hair tied back. His white linen shirt was dirty from weeks of traveling, and he was growing out of his brown homespun waistcoat and knee breeches. As soon as we settle down, he thought, Mama will have to make me some new clothes. No one passed them as they rolled down the leafy lane toward the village, not on horseback or on foot. It seems strangely quiet here, Jonathan thought. It is not the Sabbath. Where is everyone? At last he saw a carriage up ahead. It was headed toward them on its way out of town. Jonathan kept his eyes on the carriage as they approached it. It was shiny and black, a fancy carriage for rich people. But wait, he thought, the carriage is not moving. And where are the horses? Something is wrong, he realized. Something is terribly wrong. The fierce wagon drew closer. Jonathan could now see two horses, but they were lying on the ground. Are they hurt, he wondered, leaning so far forward he nearly fell. Are they dead? Closer. A foul smell invaded Jonathan's nostrils. He nearly gagged. He could see the horses clearly now, long dead. 
Their flesh was rotting, their bones shoving up through the decaying skin. Oh! Jonathan heard his mother utter a cry of shock. He glanced back into the wagon. She had pulled his two sisters close and was covering their eyes. Ezra slowed the wagon but did not stop. Why was it left here on the road, Jonathan wondered. Why would people abandon such a fine carriage? The wagon wheels creaked as they pulled close enough for Jonathan to see inside the carriage. To his astonishment, the carriage was not empty. Three women were inside, dressed in gowns of fine silk and white lace caps. Jonathan stared hard at the women, their faces. The faces were purple, nothing but bone and chunks of decaying flesh, poking out from beneath their fancy caps. They're dead, Jonathan realized, covering his nose with his hand, and they've been dead a long, long time. Rotting corpses, going nowhere in a fancy carriage. Chapter 2 Jonathan stifled a cry and covered his face with both hands. Why have these decaying bodies been left here, he wondered. Why have the villagers not taken them away to be buried? Was the carriage and its rotting cargo left here as a warning? Stay away. Still holding his breath from the stench, Jonathan turned to gaze at his father. Ezra was staring intently into the carriage window. Was he shocked by the figures inside? Jonathan could not tell. His father's face revealed no emotion. Ezra, Jane pleaded, her voice tight and shrill. Turn back. We cannot stay here. That carriage. Those women. I have such a bad feeling. Ezra turned and silently glared at her in answer. She kept her eyes leveled on him defiantly. Then, without a word, he snatched the reins and urged the horse forward. They headed into town. Ezra guided the wagon into the village common and stopped. Jonathan glanced around. No sign of life. Not another person in sight. Jonathan could hold back his questions no longer. Papa, why are we here? Why are we searching for the goods? What did they do to you? Jonathan, hush, his mother cried. Her eyes were wide with fright and warning. For a moment, no one spoke. Jonathan turned from his mother back to his father. What have I done, he wondered. What will Papa do to me? Then Ezra spoke. He is old enough now, Jane. He is right to ask these questions. He must know the truth. With a groan, Ezra climbed down from the wagon and beckoned to his son. Come with me, boy. I will come too, said Abigail. Her mother pulled her back inside. No, Abigail, you will stay here with me. Jonathan followed Ezra across the common. He stopped short when he saw a man locked in the stocks, his head and hands thrust through the three holes in the wooden frame. His eyes were open and staring, but empty, dead. Jonathan's stomach lurched. Papa, he managed to choke out. But Ezra strode quickly past the wide-eyed corpse. Our family once lived here in Wickham, Ezra told Jonathan. My grandfather was a magistrate. Everyone knew him and his brother to be good and righteous men. But that very righteousness ruins their lives. How could that be? Jonathan wondered, but he said nothing. Witches were discovered in Wickham. My grandfather had them burned at the stake. Two of them were Susanna and Martha Good. They were put on trial by my grandfather found guilty, and burned. Jonathan swallowed hard. Your grandfather, he, he burned people at the stake? Not people, witches, Ezra boomed. Vile and evil creatures of the devil. Ezra paused, breathing hard. My grandfather and his brother did their duty. Jonathan shuddered at the thought of women being burned alive, but he said nothing. Our family moved from Wickham to Pennsylvania, Ezra continued, calmer now. But William Good, the father of Susanna, 
the husband of Martha, followed them. He believed his wife and daughter to be innocent. Driven by revenge, William used dark powers against my grandfather and his family. William disguised himself as a young man. He took advantage of my Aunt Mary's innocence, and... Ezra paused again, searching for words. And what, Papa? William Good destroyed our family. He killed my grandfather and my mother. The rest he drove insane. I found my great-uncle and his wife buried behind a brick wall. Nothing left of them but bones. Jonathan guessed. This was his family history, and it was the reason behind his father's obsession. It explained why his father hated the goods with such passion. Still, something did not make sense to Jonathan. In his almost twelve years, Jonathan had never seen a sign of this William Good or his black magic. No member of the Good family had ever appeared during Jonathan's life to seek revenge against the fears. So why was Ezra keeping the evil feud alive? Why was Ezra determined to spend his life searching for goods? Papa, Jonathan asked hesitantly, is William Good still alive? I do not know, Ezra replied bitterly. He would be very old. I do know he had a son, George. George lived in Wickham once. I am hoping... He did not finish the sentence, but Jonathan knew what he was hoping. He hoped to find this George Good, or other goods, and bring them misery. And that is why we have come to Wickham, Jonathan realized. But so far, we have not seen a living soul, only corpses. This town must be cursed. Come, Ezra said. We will go to the tavern and ask after the goods. Ezra led Jonathan up the tavern steps. The innkeeper will tell us what has happened, Jonathan thought. Innkeepers always know the news. Ezra opened the tavern door. They stepped inside. The room was empty. The fireplace stood cold and dark, the tables covered with dust and cobwebs. Plates of food had rotted on one of the tables. It may have been a meal of roast lamb and a pudding. Rats scurried around the table, gnawing at the mold-covered meal. Ezra grunted unhappily, his features set in disappointment. Jonathan saw a pile of dust-covered letters on the bar, probably left there for the villagers to pick up. The letters had been delivered a long time ago. The floorboards creaked under Ezra's boots as he walked over to the bar to sort through the letters. About halfway through the pile, he stopped. He rubbed the dust from the front of the envelope and carefully studied the address. Papa, said Jonathan. Ezra looked up at his son. Go find the village magistrate's house, he ordered. Ask if the magistrate will see me. I will be along in a minute. Yes, sir, Jonathan replied meekly and walked quickly from the tavern. Outside, he hesitated. Where could he find the magistrate? The street was empty. There was no one he could ask. Then he spotted a large house on the other side of the common. It was the grandest house in the village, sided with clapboards weathered brown and enclosed by an unpainted picket fence. It stood two stories tall, with glass windows and two chimneys. This must be the magistrate's house, Jonathan told himself, making his way across the common, half walking, half running. It felt good to run after his long journey. Jonathan lifted the heavy brass door knocker and let it drop. No answer. How strange that such a fine house should have a broken parlor window, he thought. He cupped his hand around his eyes and peered through the window beside the door. The parlor was dark. He turned the doorknob and uttered a soft cry of surprise when the door opened easily at his touch. Hello, he called. His voice echoed through the house. Jonathan quietly stepped inside. Hello, he repeated in a trembling voice. I am here to see the magistrate. The house remained silent. Jonathan made his way into the parlor. The heavy thud of his boots on the floorboards was the only sound. Hello? No one was in the parlor, which led to a smaller room. 
Some kind of office, perhaps? Hello, is the magistrate at home? Jonathan stepped into the second doorway. Squinting into the dim light, Jonathan saw an old man at a desk with his back to the door. Jonathan could make out long gray hair falling onto the collar of a brown coat. Jonathan knocked lightly on the frame of the door and said, Sir, may I come in? Sir? The old man did not move. Jonathan took a deep breath and stepped into the room. He made his way up to the high-backed chair and gently tapped on the man's shoulder. Sir? Sir? The man moved, and Jonathan started to scream. Chapter 3 Jonathan's scream echoed off the walls of the tiny room. The man toppled and slid to the floor. Panting loudly, struggling to keep from screaming again, Jonathan gazed wide-eyed at the hideous face. The man's long gray hair rested on nothing but bone. The grinning skull stared up at Jonathan, its teeth yellow and rotting. As Jonathan gaped down, frozen in horror, a spider crawled out from the deep, empty eye socket. Jonathan shrieked out his horror. He wanted to run, but his feet seemed to be nailed to the floor. He couldn't take his eyes from the white-haired, grinning skeleton. He screamed again. Jonathan! Jonathan! What is wrong? Ezra shouted, bursting into the room. Ezra stopped and stared down at the corpse. Come, we must go, he said softly. Placing his hands on Jonathan's shoulders, he guided the boy from the room. Outside, Ezra ordered, Go back to the wagon and sit with your mother and sisters. I will be there soon. Just stay put and wait for me. Yes, Papa, said Jonathan, grateful to be out in the fresh air. He walked slowly back to the wagon, breathing deeply, trying to slow his racing heart. He didn't want to scare his mother but he knew she would ask him what he had seen, and there is no way to describe it without frightening her. No way to say it that wouldn't be horrible to hear. No one lived in the town of Wickham, Jonathan realized as a wave of terror swept over him. Every single human had died. Wickham was dead, a town of rotting corpses. What have you found? his mother asked eagerly as Jonathan stepped up to the wagon. Where is your father? Papa will be back soon, said Jonathan. He is exploring the village. Did you talk to the innkeeper? Jane demanded. Why was that carriage left on the road? Did he say anything? No, Mama, said Jonathan softly. There was no innkeeper. There is no one. Jane leaned forward, her eyes burning into his. She chewed her lower lip. Jonathan, what do you mean? Everyone is dead, said Jonathan. Everyone. There is no one left alive in the whole town. Jane gasped. She started to say something, but Ezra returned. He climbed up beside Jonathan on the box and, without saying a word, cracked the reins. The wagon lurched forward with a jolt. Ezra? cried Jane. What is it? Where is everyone? What did you find out? Plague, Ezra answered flatly, narrowing his eyes and staring straight ahead. No survivors. And the goods? We shall soon see, Ezra said. Ezra drove the wagon out of town, the wooden wheels bouncing over the rutted dirt road. He said nothing. His expression remained set hard and thoughtful. He didn't slow the horses until they came to a farmhouse. It was a wooden salt-box house, smaller than the magistrate's, but still two stories tall with a small attic. A brick chimney ran through the middle of the house. A shed connected the kitchen to a big barn. Ezra pulled the wagon up to the door of the house and stopped the horse. Is this the goods house? Jonathan wondered. Will they be dead too? Will they be alive? Ezra lowered himself to the ground and made his way to the door. He knocked three solid knocks, and waited. No answer. Jonathan watched his father open the door and step inside. Jonathan, Jane whispered, giving him a shove. 
Go with him. Jonathan climbed down from the wagon. Abigail slipped out, too, before her mother could stop her. They followed Ezra into the farmhouse. Stepping into the front parlor, Jonathan's eyes explored the room. He was somewhat surprised to find it neat and tidy. He saw no sign of anyone, dead or alive. It felt as if the people who lived there had left. Hello, he called, but he was not surprised when he received no answer. They must be here, Ezra exclaimed with emotion. They must. I will not rest until I see their rotting corpses with my own eyes. Ezra ran up the stairs. Standing in the parlor with his sister, Jonathan could hear his father's frantic footsteps above him. Ezra ran from room to room. Jonathan then heard Ezra climb up into the attic. When Ezra returned, he ran past the children as if not seeing them. Jonathan heard him as he explored the large common room, the shed, and the barn. A few minutes later, Ezra returned to the parlor, his face purple with rage. Papa, what is it? Jonathan cried. Chapter 4 They are gone, Ezra screamed. A plague has killed everyone in Wickham, but the goods have escaped. Jane Fear ran into the house with Rachel in her arms. Please, Ezra, she pleaded, tugging at her husband's sleeve. We must leave this horrible place. The goods are not here. We must leave. Ezra shook her off. No, he replied firmly. We will stay here, Jane. The goods lived here not long ago. Somewhere in this house there will be a clue to tell us where they have gone. He made his way to a desk in the corner and started digging through the drawers. Jane followed him, weeping. Ezra, we cannot stay here. We cannot. We cannot stay here all alone with only corpses for neighbors. Wife, Ezra started. Think of your children, Jane cried, holding the baby against her chest. Silence, Ezra screamed, pushing her away. He glared furiously at her. Jonathan trembled when he saw that mad gleam in his father's eyes. I have heard enough from you, Jane, Ezra cried sternly. No more pleading and no more questions. From now on, I expect obedience from all of you. Obedience and nothing else. No one moved. Abigail whimpered softly. Ezra's harsh expression didn't soften. I am going to find the goods, he said slowly through gritted teeth. They cannot escape me. I am going to find them, and nothing will stop me. Jonathan's mother ran from the room, crying. Abigail clung to Jonathan's side, and he put an arm around her tiny shoulders. Ezra said, Jonathan, start unpacking the wagon. This house will be our new home. Jonathan guessed. We are going to live here, in someone else's house, he wondered, horrified by the idea. We are going to live here, so near the frightening village of corpses. Jonathan, do as you are told, ordered his father, his voice booming through the house. Yes, Papa, Jonathan said. With a sinking heart, Jonathan hurried outside. His hands trembling, he unhitched the horse and led him into the barn. We are going to live in their house, he thought, the goods own house with all their things in it. What if they are not dead? What if they come back and find us here? He found a bucket in the barn and carried it outside. There is a pump in the yard. He pumped water into the bucket and took it to the horse. At least we'll have a place to sleep tonight, he told himself, with a feather bed and a hearth to cook by. Jonathan sighed. Maybe it will not be so bad here, he thought. He gazed around at the green fields the apple orchard in the distance, and the cozy house. Smoke was already rising from the chimney. His mother must have started a fire. Maybe we will be happy here, he thought, if only the goods do not come back. The fears found everything they needed in the goods' house. Jonathan discovered preserves, smoked meat, and cornmeal in the shed. Abigail found a bolt of linen in the attic. Soon, she and Jonathan had fresh new clothes made from the linen. 
Their mother kept busy cooking, cleaning, spinning, and sewing. Abigail helped her mother and took care of Rachel. Jonathan did the heavy chores, chopping wood, drawing water, caring for the horse. When his mother was very busy, he also looked after the girls for her. As they all settled into their new life, Jonathan's only concern was for his father. Ezra Fear had only one thing on his mind. Where had the goods gone? Jonathan watched his father rummage through storage bins and drawers, reading every scrap of paper he could find, studying anything that might give him a clue to their whereabouts. He thinks of nothing but revenge, Jonathan thought angrily, watching his father re-ledgers one day. He wouldn't even eat if Mama didn't put a plate of food in front of him every evening. Nothing distracts him from the goods. Then Abigail ran into the room shouting, Papa, look at me! Ezra glanced up from the ledger, and Jonathan saw his father's scowl melt into a smile. Where did you get that pretty dress? Ezra asked. Turn around for me. Abigail tossed a lock of red hair off her forehead and turned slowly, showing off her new blue dress. Mama found it in the back of an old wardrobe upstairs, she explained, her blue eyes twinkling. It fits me perfectly. Ezra held his arms out, and Abigail ran to him for a hug. Releasing her, he said, Run along now and help your mama. I have work to do here. Yes, Papa, Abigail said. She skipped out of the room. Papa almost looks happy, Jonathan thought as he watched his father. Abigail's the only one who can do that. She's the only one who can still make Papa smile. Quickly, Ezra's smile faded, and he turned to Jonathan and demanded, What are you looking at, boy? You have chores to do, have you not? Yes, Papa, said Jonathan. He hurried out of the room. About three weeks after they had moved into the house, Ezra called Jonathan to him. Hitch up the wagon, Ezra said. We're going to call on our neighbors. There were a couple of farmhouses a few miles down the road. Jonathan knew that people were living in them because he could see smoke rising from that direction every morning. The fears wagon stopped in front of a large, prosperous-looking farmhouse, with red chickens pecking around the yard. Jonathan saw a young woman working in the garden, bending low to pull out weeds. She stood up when she saw Jonathan and Ezra approach. Ezra took off his hat. Good day, miss, he said. Is the master of the house at home? The young woman curtsied and hurried excitedly into the house, calling, Papa, we have visitors. A gray-haired man with a big belly topping toothpick legs came out of the front door and introduced himself in a friendly way. Ezra removed his hat to introduce himself and Jonathan. We have just moved into the area, Master Martin, Ezra explained. We are looking for a family named Good. At the mention of the name Good, the older man blinked hard. His face turned pale. We thought the Goods were living down the road, but they are gone, Ezra continued. Would you happen to know what has become of them? The man's friendly expression faded, replaced by a scowl. I do not know the Goods, he said gruffly. I am sorry. I cannot help you. Good day, Master Fear. Abruptly, the man hurried back into his house, shutting the door behind him and his daughter. Jonathan saw the girl's face in the window. The old man pulled her away. Ezra began to shake with rage. What can this mean? he cried. Why does he refuse to speak to us? Perhaps they know something at the next farm, Papa, Jonathan said softly, trying to calm his father. They continued on to the next farm, three miles away. This one appeared poorer, a smaller house with rocky fields behind it. A thin old man tilled the field with a single hoe. Good day, sir, called Ezra, dipping his hat as he approached. May I have a word with you? The man stopped but made no move toward them. He stared at Jonathan and Ezra suspiciously. What is it, then? he asked in a surly voice. My name is Ezra Fear, Ezra told him. 
This is my son, Jonathan. We are looking for a family in the region and wondered if you knew what had become of them. What family is that? asked the old man, leaning on the hoe now. Ezra cleared his throat. The family of George Good, he said. The man's scowl deepened. He remained still for a moment, leaning on the hoe, his eyes studying Ezra. Then he raised himself, turned, and strode quickly toward his barn. Ezra nodded at Jonathan. He is going to tell us something, he whispered. They followed the old man across the rocky ground to his barn. The old man disappeared inside. Jonathan and Ezra waited several yards from the door. In a moment, the man came running out, holding a long knife. Ezra smiled uncertainly. Then Jonathan saw the confusion on his face. Before Ezra could move, the man had pressed the knife to Ezra's neck. I am going to cut your throat, he snarled.